Hello, and welcome to Radio Fear Macabre. Today we have a special episode for you. We are going to delve deep into the heart of horror. So sit back, relax, and make sure not to get your hands too close to the werewolf cage as we take you on a trip through the history of horror. Radio Fear Macabre. I'm Brandon. Here's Justin. Hello. Tony's not with us today. He is feeling under the weather. We'll have him back next week. But we are on our second episode, and we're talking about the history of horror. Horror as entertainment, as a concept, as a general thing within pop culture, and all that. Because one of the most longest withstanding genres of entertainment has always been horror. Been around for a long time. We humans, we have a deep connection with horror, you know, since before we could write, before written language. We've been telling scary stories, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, today we're talking about the history of horror. The goal for this episode is to talk about the origins of horror spanning from before written language all the way to the 50s. So, um, what have you been up to horror-wise, Justin, since we last recorded? What I've been up to lately is I'm freaking excited about... Getting ready for Chucky. Getting ready for fucking Chucky, man. Comes out tomorrow as we are recording this. Hell yeah. Cannot wait, and I will be watching it. It's going to be split between uh, USA and uh, Sci-Fi. They're going to be showing the same Chucky season opener on yeah. the sa- on both channels. And on Sci-Fi, if you're a huge Chucky fan like me and Brandon, of course, they're doing a Child's Play slash Slucky. Slucky! <laughs> that's our. That's going to be our dollar store ripoff of Chucky. His name is Slucky. Slucky. <laughs> Slucky. I wouldn't be thinking about that. I'll like, teach you not to fuck with Schluck, you bitch. <laughs> Don't fuck with the Schluck. That was a pretty good Chucky voice I did there. Yeah. That surprised did, me. Do the laugh. Where'd that come from? <laughs> Is that good? Decent. That was kind of mixed between Chucky and Master Roshi. Boom, 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 Goku. Okay. Anyways, Schlucky. But yes, I am excited for the Child's Play slash Chucky marathon that they're going to be having on Sci-Fi before the world premiere of Chucky. My ass will be watching it and probably DVR recording all of them. So, Brandon, uh, what you been up to? What What have I been up to other than editing? Working at uh, Mr. Matu. No, let's not. <laughs> I'm going to call let's, you Mr. Separate work from work, all right? <laughs> I'm gonna get you with it one day when you least expect. It. I'm gonna say, Mister. I'm gonna throw a tiny hatchet at your ear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay strapped with that. I watched Pumpkinhead, which is a horror movie I somehow missed growing up as a horror movie fan, but I finally got to watch it, so that's cool. I also watched Mike Flanagan's motherfucking Midnight Mass. I finished that, and holy fuck, is that good? It blew my fucking mind. I kind of saw like what it was all about early on but that's just that's that's me i take the fun out of it for myself and everything i've seen because i've seen everything yes except pumpkin head yeah i still i still gotta watch that i have yet to oh watch God. midnight mash yet watch it like even if like even if you don't have time just watch like an episode a night or something that's what i'm gonna try to do yeah it's it's so fucking good i i loved midnight mass that was that was, I think that was like something horror related. I like, I've been missing and needed here recently with something like that. It touches on uh, religion and the corruption of religion and all of that. And I'm not going to spoil it by saying anything else, <laughs> but it's really good. It's really fucking good. And oh, yeah. I forgot to mention, uh, watch Creep Show. Yeah, yeah. We both watched episode three of season three of Creep Show, and I enjoyed it. It was all right. There were some parts I didn't like, didn't like. 
<laughs> the first story, the heart heart collector is a complete ass. <laughs> yeah. He's just a typical rich ass. Yeah. Guy literally buys the last remaining painting just so he can burn it. Just to see everybody's face. He was he was a cock. <laughs> yeah. It was nice. I liked the was that practical effects or was that just a CGI? It was a suit, but it was enhanced with CGI, like grow, glowing eyes and like pulsating parts and shit. That was nice. I like that. Which and is that's that's like my favorite because I'm not a either practical effects or CGI guy. Of course, if I'm, I have to choose, I would pick practical effects between the two. But my favorite thing is when they have practical effects enhanced with CGI. So some of the like some of the stuff they can't do with practical effects, just making it better with CGI. And the best example I can give of that is Shin Godzilla. It's the latest Japanese Godzilla movie, and it was it was a full on like horror film. That was that was really good. But that was a guy in a suit, but they enhanced it with CGI. So like some of his body movements and stuff like that. I'll be completely honest. I've not seen many Godzilla movies. Oh my god. I I saw. When was it? Late 90s or early 2000s when they did... Was it 97 or 98 when they did Godzilla? 98. The American Godzilla? Yes. I saw that. That was terrible. <laughs> I guess that's the reason why. That's the only one I've ever seen. Oh, no. That's I mean, terrible. I know, who, that's actually, I know what Godzilla is. You know, Godzilla yeah. versus Kong. Yeah. Well, that's actually another thing I've been up to since we last recorded. I watched the original Godzilla again because I love that movie. Original Japanese? Yeah. I watched uh, Gojira and it was really good. But anyways, creep show was nice. The second story, I felt so horrible and sad for the prisoner. Oh yeah, that, that episode gave me a, a huge arachnophobia yeah. vibes. Yeah, it kind of gave me some Stephen King vibes. But maybe it's just because it's a horror short, and also it takes place in a prison cell. So yeah. I kind of felt some Shawshank Redemption, and it, it elementally, or I guess conceptually, it's not really all that Stephen Kingy. But it was just reminding me of a lot of things Stephen King hits on. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. It was really good. I liked how that asshole prison guard gets his at the end. That was nice. Yeah, I like it when the dude gets bit in the fucking eye. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the Elvira 40th, and it was really good. She's still really funny, and she's still she's still Elvira. I mean, <laughs> she's looking good for 40, because she's totally 40. Totally. Absolutely. She's a very nice, charming woman. And from what I heard, she's actually a really sweet lady, too. Oh, very sweet. And she puts the double D in shutter. So. <laughs> she said that herself. Okay. <laughs> she is completely okay with that. <laughs> and then I watched the Joe Bob Briggs Halloween Hoedown, which you need to see. It was a lot of fun. Anytime the mutant family gets together online to watch Joe Bob Briggs, it's always a good fucking time. And I know I, I was definitely not going to miss that live. I was supposed to be editing at the time, and I was like, I mean, Joe Bob's on. That's the next four hours, I gotta do that. <laughs> and I don't regret it. They saw the movie Angel, and then they screened Terror Train. But they also had interviews with Jason Blum and David Gordon Green working on Halloween Kills, and they talked a lot about Halloween Kills and what to expect during the Speaking special. of Halloween, yeah, speaking of Halloween, I... On Shutter, I watched the original Halloween in four and five yesterday. Yeah, so holds up. Some people hate them, but when I'm a fan of a series, I mean, yeah, you can say that they're not as good, but I'll still watch them. Right, but five is like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Was it worse than six? Six is garbage. Five is garbage. Resurrection is hot garbage. I can agree with you on that. Resurrection yeah. sucks. Uh, excluding trick or treat, motherfucker. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> You're not supposed to just beat up Michael Myers. That's not how this Aww. works. <laughs> Doing some kung fu shit. I don't care if you are Busta Rhymes. You can't just beat up Michael Myers. He could just beat him up with his words, man. Nah, he's mean. <laughs> don't pick on Mikey. <laughs> Saw the Japanese Ring movies that you recommended me all of them i watched I, technically i just recommended ringu but i didn't mention i watched them all okay <laughs> did you like them i did you are right the american ring is a lot scarier yeah 
But I also like the pacing and the tone of the Japanese ones better. Yeah, I like the story of the Japanese one better, I think. I enjoyed the second one better than the American Ring 2. Yeah, I can see that. I didn't watch all of uh, the Ring Girl versus the... <laughs> More having fun with that? Huh? Juan versus Ringu? Yeah. Yeah, you weren't having fun with that one? <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They change up the rules of the ring, too. I know. It's like three days instead of seven. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even watch all of it. I will watch the rest of it. But yes, I enjoyed the hell out of the Japanese rings. Makes me actually want to watch more Japanese horror. Watching the Japanese movies with the subtitles. Perfect. Mwah. <laughs> Good shit. Kind of going off that with watching foreign films. Another thing I was up to. I watched the first episode of Squid Game on... That's everybody has been talking about yeah. lately, a Squid Game. And it's on Netflix. It's Korean horror. And I got to tell you, dude, the, the Korean horror scene is kicking it the fuck up right now. Have you seen Train to Busan? It's on Shutter. Watch Train to Busan. When when I talked about Night of the Living Dead and how I have zombie burnout, I kind of threw in there Train to Busan as an exception because of how good that movie is. If you want to watch a good zombie movie, it's a Korean zombie movie, Train to Busan. It's really good. The main actor in that movie, uh, I forget his name, so I'm sorry about that, but the, the main actor from Train to Busan is in Squid Game, and it's just really good. I am so hyped to see because usually in in the horror genre we kind of like swap where like the biggest innovation in the genre is coming from like from country to country for a while it was like france and then germany with german expressionism and the u.s for the longest time right now it seems to be korea is just like leading the charge on doing new shit with horror and i'm i'm loving it yeah, I'm definitely going to go see that. Speaking of zombies, watch Walking Dead this past uh, Sunday. They are doing the last episode before they have a break. They're going to come back to the second part of the season in February, but they just finished it off. Nice little cliffhangers. Brandon's got to get them caught up on some Walking Dead. Do I? I'm sure eventually we're going to be covering just the Walking Dead series. Yeah, that's just going to be Justin's episode. All right. <laughs> I'm, Justin's going to come to my house. He's going to go to the recording setup we have here, and I'm just going to like lock him in there, and he's going to talk you through Walking Dead. Well, you got some connections with The Walking Dead. I mean, you met Norman Reedus. Yeah, but, I mean, that was a long time ago. I was very young. If y'all going to strap me down and force me to play some Resident Evil, you got to get caught up on The Walking Dead. Man. I was going to say there's a difference. Resident Evil is good, but like The Walking Dead, Resident Evil went through his time where it was really bad, so... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, other than that... I've been playing Resident Evil 2 Remake. I got it a while back, but I just I haven't had time to play it until now. Did X give it to you? I avoided them pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of where I'm at right now is where Mr. X shows up. I'm playing through Claire's story, and he showed up, scared the shit out of me because I was just asking Tony, when does Mr. X show up? And then he did, right, as I asked. <laughs> I went to the nearest save area, saved, and I haven't played it since. <laughs> but I'll get back to it here shortly when I'm not editing. But anyways, that's what we've been up to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to plug our social here for the podcast. Normally, I wouldn't do this at the beginning, but I've literally been forgetting to do this every episode. And so from now on, I'll, I'll remind people what our socials are at the end of the episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio Fear Pod. No underscores or spaces. If you listen to the update, I changed our handle since then. I figured Radio Fear Pod would be simpler. Facebook, you can follow us at facebook.com forward slash Radio Fear Macabre. Instagram, at Radio underscore Fear underscore Macabre. And on Slasher, same as Instagram, just all caps. Follow us on there. <laughs> Make sure to give us a follow. No. Click on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys want to, you know, just stay up to date, follow us on our social medias. Talk to us. Say hi. We need that social media clout. <laughs> that and, you know, I like it when people say hi. Anyway, let's get into the horror headlines. Here's your horror headlines on Radio Fear Macabre. headlines today. The Friday the 13th lawsuit was settled, sort of. Kinda. 
Yeah, I know this is probably old news at this point, but we haven't recorded since it happened, so. Yeah, apparently Victor Miller won the appeal case. Right. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I, I looked into it. He only owns specific things from Friday the 13th, part one. Yeah, he doesn't really own the adult Jason with the hockey mask. He yeah. just really owns the name Friday the 13th, basically the story with Pamela Voorhees. Right. And he only has distribution rights locally in the U.S., so he kind of won, but also, why? <laughs> he can make movies that says Friday the 13th. I guess that means he also owns Camp Crystal Lake. Yes. If uh, Sean S. Cunningham wants to make anything Jason, it's can't not it can't be called Friday the 13th. He can't use Camp Crystal Lake. It just it can be Jason with a hockey mask, because technically, Victor Miller doesn't own the adult Jason. He, he can still talk about the young Jason, but... What people don't realize is that when Victor Miller made the screenplay and the script for the original Friday the 13th, Jason was never meant to actually be in the film. He was only meant to just serve as a story. It was but The original Friday the 13th was all about Pamela Voorhees getting revenge. Tom Savini just wanted to make a creepy kid outfit. Did you see the Crystal Lake memories on Shudder? No, I haven't. Not yet. It's long, isn't it? It's long. I know the... Nightmare on Elm Street when they had was like over four hours. Yeah, the same guy who did yeah. that one. I don't know if that's on Shudder or not. But it used to be. It's not anymore. <clears throat> but Crystal Lake Memories is on Shudder. Please, if you're a fan of Friday the 13th, watch it. It's well worth it. It goes into real high detail of every single Friday the 13th all the way up to the remake that they made in 2009. I learned a lot of stuff on that show that I didn't even know about it. Like, And you're a super fan. Yeah. Victor Miller wins, sort of. I really don't know what this means for the franchise. I mean, it... It, it could be it could be like the Chucky series to where that's what I was thinking. There's yeah. Child's Play and there's Chucky now. Yeah, so it may end up being like that where there's going to be where Friday Vic, the Thirteenth. Yeah, where Victor Miller with Paramount's probably going to try to just do a complete probably remake of Friday the Thirteenth. Probably be just like the original, and then probably Sean S. Cunningham is going to go uh, make Jason movies. Just make Jason movies, which like I titled mean, Jason. Well, I mean, that's basically what it was. Because even before all this lawsuit stuff was going down, there was already name problems. Name problems. That's because why there's like Jason goes to hell. Jason, that exactly. Yeah. That last movie that was actually called Friday the 13th was Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. Moving on to our next story. Rob Zombie posted some photos of 1313 Mockingbird Lane from his Monsters remake, showing that the house is almost near completion. And from what I saw, it looks really good. It looks a lot like the original, a bit more, well, Rob Zombieized. <laughs> it's it's decrepit and more trailery. Well, that's basically what a Rob Zombie movie is. It's kind of just like trailery, white trash, lots of cussing. I'll crawl over there and skull oh, fuck the you. shit out of you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've seen Rob Zombie movies. You know what I'm talking about. Rest in peace, Sinhag. <laughs> I met him too. <laughs> He, um, he, he broke a 20 for me. That's not a joke. <laughs> for real? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Rob I'm Zombie. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for the Monsters remake. I remember being a little kid and watching the Monsters and thinking, this is Adam's family. Same here. I loved watching the Monsters. But I believe Monsters came before Adam's family, didn't they? I'm not sure, but I watched the hell out of it, though. Yeah. It was always on... TV Land. Yeah. Nick at Night, I think, maybe also yeah. carried it for a while. I'm mostly watching this out of like morbid curiosity at what the fuck is Rob Zombie gonna do to monsters? Basically, what we just said. <laughs> like, <laughs> all the monsters are gonna be in some like nasty, trashy, trailer parky looking. No, the mansion. house looks good. It's Rob Zombie. Okay, it's probably going to look like the house from a house from a thousand corpses. But Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're all going to be cussing at each other. They're probably going to be fighting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what Rob Zombie's going to do. <laughs> uh, uh, but hey, we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty big Rob Zombie fans here, right? I hear a lot of horror like influencers and stuff like that just badmouth the shit out of Rob Zombie. I like his work. I like his work, too. I mean, we're, we're joking about this, but I mean... That's probably is what's gonna happen. Yeah. Not, we're not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, it could be end up being great. Oh, I'm definitely checking it out, and I'm definitely, 
I, I just I can't wait to see this shit show in a good way. This is probably gonna be. I like his latest album he came out with not too long ago. Arl Stein is releasing a new anthology series on Disney Plus called Just Beyond. I'm excited for it. He's probably will do a great job on it. I like the original Goosebumps. We're getting another Goosebumps. <laughs> It, like we, we said before, we grew up on Goosebumps. It being on Disney+, Plus, it's going to have probably a budget, and it's going to look great. <laughs> well, I saw the trailer for it. It does look good. Yes. I haven't seen the trailer yet, but it's probably going to look really fucking good because series on Disney+, Plus, very nice. Loki. <laughs> the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. Shudder's releasing a new docuseries called Behind the Monsters. I'm fucking excited for this one. <laughs> It's going to be basically a behind-the-scenes look, talking about each horror character. It's going to start off talking with... My man, Candyman. Candy man. Yeah. With Candyman, and it's going to talk about Chucky, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, and Pinhead. Finishing off basically. with Pinhead. All those characters that we fucking love to death. Can't wait to see that. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, my God. I can't wait for the Freddy Krueger episode. I can't wait for every single one of them, man. It, if, if they don't start the Freddy Krueger episode with... <laughs> I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Can't wait to see that. Steamforge Games is launching a Kickstarter on October 26th for their new Resident Evil board game. They had two successful board games based on Resident Evil 2 and 3 before, but now they're going into making a board game about the original game. But speaking of Resident Evil, boy do we have some fucking Resident Evil news. Resident Evil is doing some shit right now. Okay, so VR, the Jesus Christ. Resident Evil 4, my favorite Resident Evil, is getting a VR experience on the Oculus Quest 2, coming out October 21st, and I'm fucking hype. I don't have a VR headset, but our mutual friend does, and I'm going to go over to his house and play it. That's going to be scary as fuck. Dude, no, I know I know too much about that fucking game, so I'm going to have like a god complex actually being in it. <laughs> <laughs> and... The new trailer came out for a new Resident Evil movie, and it looks fucking good. I'm cautious, but there's things in the trailer that makes me think that this is going to be way better than the other Resident Evil movies. Because honestly, I hated the Resident Evil movies that we've had before. My expectations <laughs> are low, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine aren't. You need to see the trailer. You haven't seen it, right? No. The trailer makes it seem like it's going to be really good. There's some Easter eggs in the trailer that kind of gives me hope. Um, that some Resident Evil players will, would know about, like Itchy Tasty. There's a window, and written in blood on it is Itchy Tasty. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for this new Resident Evil movie. We got some new Dead by Daylight news. They're getting a new survivor as a teenage witch called Michaela Reed. They're doing some beta testing on it right now, and from what I've heard, she's got really good, really, really, really good perks. Um, she's got a perk to where you can uh, bless dull or hex totems. So basically that just gives killers something new to worry about. Mm -hmm. But Leatherface got some stuff too, right? Yes, he did. It's kind of like a fine dining collection. That's what it's actually yeah, it's called. A, yeah, got a nice little suit and nice little different face. He's got the, the lady mask. Yes, lady yeah. mask, and he's wearing a suit. Looks pretty nice. A lot of Bubba killers are using that right now. He's wearing his Sunday best. Yep, so that outfit's already out. This is the, like, iconic outfit at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's already out. The outfit's already out because I've already seen Bubba players have it. The new Survivor, she'll probably, in the perks, that'll probably come out later this month. Yeah. As we're recording this today, the Scream poster released and some screenshots of the film, too. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail about that because mm -hmm. we want to not spoil ourselves too much for the screen but i'm so hyped for screen yeah i went online and people were like talking about the trailer was leaked and there was some articles talking about some details and jesus christ <laughs> i closed the damn article so damn fast yeah i don't want to know anything and that's all i can see i just type in the word scream on youtube yeah <laughs> trailer leak trailer leak yeah i i've opening scene details I live from on, a reliable source who had leaked other movies before. Yeah. I, I live on Twitter, and luckily I haven't run into the leaked trailer, Thank which God. is surprising. Because I, usually, I, if it. you're going to get spoiled on anything, it's on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the, the, the link for it or yeah. the video, and I, nope, nope. 
as we're recording this, the trailer is releasing tomorrow, so you can already see the trailer. So this is probably old news to you, but if you somehow missed it and you're listening to this, you can go watch the trailer right now. That's your horror headlines for the day. Moving on to our main topic of the day, we're going over the history of horror. We're gonna probably break this down into two different episodes. There's a lot to cover, even trying to be brief. <laughs> no, there's a lot to cover. So we're going to begin from the beginning. Our history with horror goes back so far. We're going to talk about the human connection with horror since our very beginning, the emotion of fear being key to our survival, and how scary stories have been an important tool for us to use as a species since before we invented the wheel. Tales of horrific events or creepy happenings have been used as methods to pass along warnings and lessons from generation to generation. After that, we've used horror to hold up the society that we built. These scary stories, these warnings, to kind of keep society and hold it together. Yes. Enforce its foundation so we don't fall apart. So our fears of the unknown. Fears of the unknown, fears of others, tribalism, you know, stuff like that, and fear of ourselves and what we're capable of. We go into religion. To enforce religion, we have fears of consequence of, like, living a life that doesn't fall into that religion. Exactly. That leads us into word-of-mouth horror. Every great epic that we've ever had has bits of horror in it. There's, you know, like, Grendel and Beowulf. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You know, and the Medusa in Homer's Odyssey. Mythology has its horrors. Cerberus and Hades, Anubis. Medusa. Yeah, so we've been trying to scare the shit out of each other for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as it goes for entertainment, we've been trying to scare each other since before film was invented. And when we learned to write, one of the first things we started to do was save stories on paper that would scare us. A history of horror in entertainment that evolved from word of mouth to horrific tales and tragedies included in plays to books and then movies. What is considered to be the first gothic horror novel was said to be Castle of Otranto, written by Horace Walpole and published in 1765. Jesus. Gothic horror is very important to horror as entertainment because that's really where we got our start was with gothic horror. And so this book, Castle of Otranto, tells the story of Manfred, the prince of Otranto, who is keen to secure the castle for his descendants in the face of a mysterious curse. And the novel begins with the death of Manfred's son, Conrad, who is crushed to death by an enormous helmet on the morning of his wedding to the beautiful princess Isabella. This is the cornerstone to gothic horror and literature. This horrific style would go on to influence other writers years later. Like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Which is considered one of the most important gothic horror pieces in existence, along with Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1897. Hell yes. These books themselves inspired by Walpole's writings, as well as Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. And all of his work throughout the 1800s, they would go on to inspire H.P. Lovecraft in the early 1900s, who invented the cosmic horror, which was really diving in on the fear of the unknown or the fear of what man can't make sense of. Yes. What is beyond our understanding. Yes. And we'll have a whole episode on H.P. Lovecraft himself. So, H.P. Lovecraft, Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley, Edgar Allan Poe, all of these would be quintessential inspirations for things to come in their future of horror, which would be inevitably film. And a lot of their stories would make it onto film. film. Yes. In the earliest years of film, the industry was less filled with directors creating profound and terrific stories to capture on motion picture and more at the amazement of what cameras were capable of doing. Camera tricks being a main feature to seeing a film, it was seen more of a passing fad only to become one of our primary forms of entertainment years later. Yeah, when film first started, I mean, there was no really, there was no sound. Yeah. It was I, just a bunch of silent short films. Yeah. Things like train pulling into station, you know, stuff like yes. that. We would see, there's even like written like records from back then of like, people thought it was a passing fad and it, it wasn't going anywhere and at some point it'll die down. But of course, as we know, 
film is pretty much the main center of entertainment these days. Yes. The first horror film was believed to be a three-minute silent short film titled The Haunted Castle, or it's also known as The House of the Devil, by French film pioneer George Milliers. It's set in a haunted castle. There's these two guys that find themselves in this castle, and they're getting harassed by this devil-like character throughout the film. And you could tell watching it, it's, it's just look at what we could do with film and it's like mm -hmm. oh skeletons randomly appear in front of them and stuff like that and dance around and uh there's one part where like these witches just show up and like gang around one of the guys and start beating <laughs> him with broomsticks <laughs> <laughs> that's that's considered the first ever horror film spooky <laughs> spooky <laughs> but even though we can look at the at this short little three minute clip of the haunted castle and it's nothing special to us. Back then, that was mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if people technically were scared of that short film, because if you go back that far and a little bit after, the horror sort of things that we saw were also very comedic as well. Yeah. So it was something kind of laugh at. You know, like chairs moving on their own when a guy's trying to sit down. <laughs> that sort of thing. Even though that might be the case, it would go to inspire to push that further down the line. And over in Germany in 1919, we would see what is credited as the first feature-length horror film, which was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It was a silent film, and it was one of the first examples we had of German Expressionism, which is this surrealistic look at backdrops and the settings and all that. It's a big inspiration for like Tim Burton. You know, mm -hmm. is this German expressionism? It's a, it was an expression of reality, but not an actual mirror image of reality. So things are kind of bizarro and oddly shaped. Yeah, creepy, just surreal, stylistic visuals. Yeah, and a big thing that played into that was they had power consumption limits in Germany back then. And the studio, while making Dr. Caligari, they used up all of their power consumption that they could for the month that they were filming this, and they had to paint shadows and stuff like that into the scene, and that's kind of what helped create German Expressionism as a thing. So it's a very trippy kind of look to it. It's very wild. The film was also important because it kind of laid down the structure that we would see in a lot of horror films soon to come after it where the monster falls in love with the female lead, torn between his nature, his duty, and his feelings. It would become like a main staple in gothic horror movies to come afterwards. But then after that, we get into what is considered the golden age of horror. Golden Age is kind of where we go back to America because Germany was the leading force in horror. This is basically when Hollywood starts to get on that horror train and start making yeah. horror movies. Pre-1920s, it was all Germany because Germany was creating movies like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and also like Nosferatu, mm -hmm. uh, where we get the first film adaptation of Dracula, yeah, but they couldn't get the rights to the name Dracula, so they used Nosferatu. So even back then, there was copyright strikes. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> uh, and you know the book was still very new at the time. Yeah, so I'm not sure if you could really get away with it this today, but that's, they they retold their version of it. Of course, it was still silent because there was no sound yet. That's kind of interesting how there's even back then there was still copyright strikes going on, even yeah all the way up to today. Yeah, still copyright well hey man you got ips you got to protect it right <laughs> <laughs> so and bram stoker probably didn't trust film at the time because like i said this is still when people were kind of wary about film yeah yeah but then we go over to america and this really kind of follows the boom of hollywood and sound in film that was the biggest thing eventually but before what we consider to be the golden age we were still doing films like phantom of the opera in 1925, which starred Lon Chaney Sr. as the Phantom himself. And of course, Lon Chaney, he was a big actor in the silent era, considered the man of a thousand faces. <laughs> he he did his own makeup and everything, and he did like very like groundbreaking work on movie makeup at the time. 
Uh, and he was really good in the silent era because of how expressive he could be and how well his makeup was. Yeah, because back then, when it was just silent movies, you had to make up for that by having impressive visuals. Yeah, and his gestures and everything was really good because he actually grew up with two deaf parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he got really good at, you know, like, mannerisms, charading, and, and expressions. Yeah. So that was his background that led him to be very famous uh, in the silent film era, of course. But shortly after we did go to sound, he passed away due to throat cancer. But his legacy would live on later down the road, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But this is really where we enter the golden age of horror films, where this is kind of like our more modern cornerstone of what we kind of see as the origin yeah, Universal Studios leads the charge in a big way to start off horror with sound. First movie they ever did was a, a good one. <laughs> a uh, real good one, and I love it because I've always been a big fan of Bram Stoker and a big Dracula fan. I am Dracula. Oh, it's really good to see you. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage and... Well, and with all this, I, I thought I was in the wrong place. I bid you welcome. Yeah, and you know, the, this was one of the first movies with sound that there was, was Dracula. See, I did not know that, but that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Universal's Dracula is like the quintessential way we look at vampires now, all thanks to the amazing work of actor Bella Lugosi, mm -hmm. who would become just a superstar in the horror genre. The thing I didn't know about him was that he did not speak English. Didn't speak a lick of English. Tell me how fucking badass that is. He would have his lines read to him, and he would memorize how it sounds, and he would speak it. That is really impressive. Yeah, and that's where we get the uniqueness of how Dracula sounds. His accent. Because it's, it's not only his accent, he doesn't speak the language, so the way he's talking even is like he's unfamiliar with this, the words that are coming out of his mouth. He really doesn't know what he's saying. He's yeah. just copying the way that they, they want him to say it. Yeah, and that's why you get these eerie, strange sounds. Like my favorite line in that whole movie. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> Bella Lugosi, all-time horror all-star. Oh, yes. One of, the, one of the first, besides, of course, Lon Chaney Sr., one of the first big horror stars that we would have here in the U.S., even though he was a Hungarian immigrant at the time. Yeah. So the next film that... Universal would release as a film that they were also filming at the same time as Dracula. And it would bring us our next big, arguably even bigger than Bela Lugosi, yes. would be our next star, Boris Karloff, and his role as the monster in Frankenstein. which is an amazing film. We have a pretty big love for the golden age of horror characters. Yeah, Dracula, Frankenstein. Yeah. Yes. But I think Dracula is my favorite monster from those, but my favorite movie as a movie from them is Frankenstein. It's such a good movie, and it gave us the most famous movie line in history. <laughs> some outrage but yes yeah this is based off of mary shelley's novel of course dr frankenstein creates a monster though they had a thing a standard that films had to uphold at the time where 
the monster has to die by the end of the movie. The monster yes. can't live on. So, of, of course, you know, Frankenstein's monster, even though he's shown to be sympathetic type of character, you see that he's not really evil, but still he had to be killed by the end of the movie. And uh, a common misconception about that movie is people always call the monster Frankenstein, but that's not... Yeah, he's the, the it's, creature. He's the creature. Yeah. The doctor was named Dr. Frankenstein. The monster was not Frankenstein. It was just Frankenstein's monster. I think it's pretty cool that the correction on that has become almost just as popular as the misconception. Yeah. You see in a lot of movies, uh, if somebody makes the mistake of calling him Frankenstein, somebody will correct them. Actually, the doctor was named Frankenstein, not the monster. Universal Pictures, they were really kicking it off with these movies, Frankenstein, Dracula... And then they would go into other influential characters like The Mummy. They would also make The Invisible Man. I love that movie. That is a great movie. Did you ever watch the remake of The Invisible Man? I haven't. The 2020 one? I need to see that. Good, uh, good shit. I didn't mean to miss out on that, and it's like on the top of my list of like shit I need to see. Good, from good movie. Is it? I'm it's glad. really good, yes. I'm glad. And even Invisible Man, they even made other movies that was kind of based on Invisible Man. You've seen Hollow Man? Yes. With Kevin Bacon? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> he is a dick in that movie. <laughs> he killed a dog, man. So did Michael Myers. Yeah, but he Michael Myers didn't slam the dog against the wall of a cage until it died. That was brutal. But either way, uh, speaking of dogs, the Wolfman. <laughs> would bring us what I think personally what would become our biggest horror icon of that era. Now I know the name Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, those carry a lot of weight, but Lon Chaney Jr., son of famous Lon Chaney Sr. from Phantom of the Opera, the man of a thousand faces, his son would be Wolfman and it would start a very long career for Lon Chaney Jr., as playing monsters in these Universal movies. Yes. He was kind of the Kane Hodder of his time. Yes, he was everything. Yeah, he he played as the Wolfman. He played as the Mummy. He played as Dracula. No, he played as Alucard, right? Alucard, yes. Son of Dracula. Yes. He played as the Frankenstein monster. If there was a Universal monster that and they, did, they needed somebody to do it, Lon Chaney Jr. Yes. <laughs> I love this era of horror. I know we didn't really talk about this era when we were talking about our personal tastes in episode one. Yes. But this this era, the, the golden age of horror, has always been... Well, this one was basically something that later in our life we appreciated more. Yeah. Because basically when we were talking about is what we grew up watching. Yeah. But I think I was probably like in my teens when I started to really get into these movies. Yeah. And that was mostly because the internet kind of introduced me to more stuff and including classic stuff and really in my teens I started to appreciate stuff from before my time a lot more and what's interesting about us and our age was right in our teens is when the internet started picking up big time yeah because early in our childhood it was just introduced it was dial up internet it was seen and as then as in as our as teens it was another thing where it was seen as a passing fad and then it blew up to be one of the most important exactly things in the world. exactly because in our teens, that's when the internet picked up big time. We were introduced. That's when social media first started. Yeah. Wasn't when we were in high school. We actually lived in a wild time. Wild era. We yeah. we were blessed, honestly. But that's what led us to appreciating these old black and white horror movies for what yes. they were. And I'm I'm glad for that too. Because every October I sit down and I watch me some Dracula, I watch Frankenstein, I watch The Wolfman, all of that. I love yes. them. But Universal, they were taking over the scene, but they weren't the only ones to have important horror movies. In the 40s, outside of Universal... RKO. Yeah, we would see RKO, and they would be working on horror films themselves, and one really important movie that they did was Cat People. Mm -hmm. And what's really important about Cat People, in my personal opinion, I think, Cat People was our first introduction, or at least that we know of, of really intense psychological horror. Yeah. Because in Cat People, you don't see the monster. I think the underlying message is about a sexually frustrated woman. Her sexual frustration is going to turn her into a cat person. <laughs> and she's paranoid by this, of course. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have the budget Universal did, RKO. Yeah. So instead of having a big monster 
and makeup and an outfit, you know, or suit, they used what you didn't see to scare you the most. And that would become a very important aspect of horror way later. So this was like a huge front runner in that aspect. And it was because of budget. And we'll see that as a theme throughout film history is budget leads to innovation. Like a lack of ability to do something leads to creativity, which leads to creating something very important. So uh, Cat People, it used shadows and lightings and it used the lack of an imagery to scare you because what you don't see lets your brain fill in the gaps. The stuff you can think of in your brain is 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 a lot more terrifying than anything they can show you on film. So that was really good. But another important thing was it's our first, what we believe to be our first jump scare in films. There's a scene where she is, or at least she thinks and you think as the viewer that she might be stalked by something. Yeah. Uh, Something's following her and she's walking down the street alone and you see like shadows move and stuff like that behind her and she keeps looking over her shoulder. She gets to this bus stop. She's looking over her shoulder to the left side of the screen from where you're seeing. She looks over her shoulder to your left and then from the right side of the screen, a huge bus comes into into the foreground of the shot and it has a loud bus hiss. Mm-hmm. I'll play the audio clip of it here. Climb on, sister. Are you riding with me or ain't you? You look as if you'd seen a ghost. Did you see it? And the hiss sounds similar to like a a big cat. Big panther. Yeah. That is what we believe to be the first jump scare in horror. Because usually it's all creepy atmosphere and music and visual. And it's all about like the creeping encroach of death. But this was where it's like, bam, something's in your face and it's scary. Nearing the end of the 40s, this golden age starts to wind down because horror does what horror does. And we'll see it become a common occurrence again later. But this being the first cycle of horror films, this was the first time it happened. But horror becomes self-parodying. Yeah, that and, and basically throughout the years, it just evolves. Well, yeah, it evolves. But we, we reach the end of a cycle... And we see we're at the end of the cycle when it starts making fun of itself. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see that again later, especially in the 90s. Oh, God. <laughs> but it, it started to do that here in the in the 40s as well with things like Abbott and Costello meeting Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. And, and uh, Universal just started crossing over their monsters a lot. Yeah. And it became less scary and more watch them fight and look at this funny situation involving these monsters. It's kind of interesting how they were already doing that back then. Yeah. And they're still doing that today, basically. Yep. <laughs> Everything just goes in cycles. Yep. It's a, it's a big spinning, spinning wheel, this horror, but that wheel changes every cycle. But it follows the same steps, you know. But once everybody becomes really aware of the tropes of an era in horror and start making fun of it, that's when it's time to change things up. Yes. But it's not only because of that that horror changes. Usually horror also has to change with the time, which we'll really get into here in a second. Yeah. We reached a point where Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein, the mummy... All of these characters are becoming more beloved than they are scary. And, you know, lunch boxes and stuff like that. And, you know, we got, we'll got we we'll get things like the monsters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's usually the swan song of an era is when it starts to get funny. Yeah. And that's where we find ourselves here. But the world is also changing, too. And that's usually why we start to find things funny is as the world changes, our fears change. And so instead of being scared by these creepy monsters, the world starts to become kind of a scarier place than that. Yeah. And we hit the Silver Age of horror. So after the 40s, we get into the 50s, and we see this big shift in horror films. And it's not just in theme, but it's also in budget. Because leading 
from the 30s and the 40s, horror was the big seller in theaters. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen it be that case in a long time. Yeah. But more than action, more than drama, more than romance, horror was what was putting butts in seats the most in theater. Back then, they would have won the Oscars. Yeah. Back then, horror was a big deal. But we would see that quickly change in the 50s where people were becoming more attracted to things like romance movies, drama movies, and like high-flying adventure films. Spy and espionage. Yes, in its earliest forms, yeah. Yeah. But the world was also changing, too. And we would become afraid of things after World War II happened that we weren't before. And it was leading up to the Cold War. Yeah, within the Cold War... There were very different things on people's mind at that time. Horror, even though it was bumped down to like B-movie status, it, it still remained to, to scare new audiences. And in this era, it had to prove its fluidity and change with the times. A lot of paranoid people around this time. Right. Because with the Cold War came constant terror of invasion, inception, and the arms race constantly on people's minds. Everybody was freaking out, like, oh yeah. my god, they're going to get us. A, uh, a nuclear mushroom cloud of fear and paranoia, if you will, lo yes. loomed over the population of the first world at this time. And, of course, art imitates life, and where there is massive unease in the world, horror is always the first one there to characterize it, break it down, and put it on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And these fears of inception and espionage would give the action genres boom in, in the spy movies, like you said. It also gave horror its films with themes of paranoia, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a very good film. Mm -hmm. But we were also afraid of invasion at this time, and the mm -hmm. fear of invasion would play a role in popularizing the alien films, mm -hmm. such as The Day the Earth Stood Still and War of the Worlds, which was based off of a popular radio drama, which was based off of a book. Yep, really, that, good, really, really good book. Yeah, the book was good. I think we had to read it in high school. Yes, we movie. did. Yeah. What I love about that book was it was written way before this movie came out, uh -huh. but just the themes of that book hit, hit so close to home to people in the 50s. It was ahead of its time. Yeah, and it just it hit for what people were afraid of in the 50s. I love that. And the constant worry of nuclear warfare and the effects of radiation, that's what would give us our true first creature features yes. in, in film history, showing monsters created by atomic radiation altering what would be otherwise normal creatures in films such as them and tarantula tarantula yeah yes uh tarantula i think was like a really big inspiration for a bunch of uh Rachnophobia. well a bunch of directors that were kids back then like john carpenter oh yeah so um tarantula scared the, i know uh george romero too uh they when they were growing up they were watching these movies these these uh what we call cheesy sci-fi horror flicks of the 50s they were growing up with those they call them cheesy i call them wonderful oh yeah it's a special type of cheese that gets stronger the more it sits out <laughs> <laughs> these were all fears based off of what could happen to us at the time we were all terrified of the possibility of these things mm -hmm. but for others overseas it did happen it happened to them. Japan. During World War II, the fear of nuclear destruction and the effects of fallout was very much reality for them. It was a very recent memory for them and a scar that wouldn't even begin to heal for a while. I mean, some of their ground was still radiated, you know? So, with the pain of all that still fresh in their minds and their culture cried out for a means to cope with it and make sense, in 1954... They created a creature of their own, like we were doing, but as a symbol of the destruction caused by the U.S., and his name was Gojira. Godzilla. 
Godzilla in the US is what we would call him. The film was massively successful in Japan. <laughs> Extremely. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's up there. I'm I'm a huge Godzilla fan and I love the original black and white Japanese Gojira movie. It showcased this giant monster rampaging through Tokyo. The military trying to stop him, but nothing can stop him. It showcases people uh, trying to prepare for it like a like a disaster, and it all mirrors that topic of the destruction from the H bomb in World War II. Even the image of Godzilla himself over the horizon in Tokyo is supposed to kind of be similar to seeing a mushroom cloud from a bomb the way he towers over Tokyo that like that. It had a very important message and it was, you know, self-contained within Japan for a while. It would eventually reach other nations as well, this film. But when it got to the US, it was frankly bastardized into the film we call Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah. Where they have a white actor inserted into the film. He was basically there to give a, I guess, a, an American perspective of the things going on. And it all has this air of, like, this one American in the room knows more than everyone else because he's an American, you know. American. And uh, the, the, the message of the film is just completely taken out of the American version of the movie where it's all about hope and sticking together through natural tragedies that come from God knows where. The message was lost on us until several, several years later. Eventually, we could get the original Japanese version, Gojira, over here. But that wouldn't be till several years later. Wow. Yeah, the, these creature features was like probably the biggest part of the 50s. And that led us to having what is considered the last of the Platinum Monsters from Universal. And he's kind of thrown into there in the group of Dracula and Frankenstein, Wolfman and all that. So the Creature from the Black Lagoon came out during this era. I think the same year as Godzilla, 1954. It was uh, another showcase of uh, science messing around with what it shouldn't and finding this lagoon uh, which time has not touched and they go mucking around in there, and what do you know? Messing with stuff they shouldn't be messing with. Yeah, and uh, the creature, he just, he was vibing. He just chilling at his, at, his, at his lagoon, and these people come fucking with him. He's up there in importance with the older monsters from Universal as well. We got our last head on Universal monster Mount Rushmore that year. Throughout the 50s, things would change even more quickly than they did through the 30s and 40s. And before the era was over, we already started to see another shift within the 50s. These alien and invasion and, and paranoia movies would still be made throughout the entirety of the 50s, but they would eventually take a back seat in the later 50s to other types of movies. Ghosty, ghosty movies. Yeah, they're, yeah, well... Uh, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag with this topic we're, we're touching on now. The genre would see the inclusion of new themes around the mid to late 50s, and it's all thanks to one man, and that man was William Castle. I am William Castle, the director of the motion picture you're about to see. I feel obligated to warn you that some of the sensations, some of the physical reactions, which the actors on the screen will feel, will also be experienced for the first time in motion picture history by certain members of this audience. Castle believed in making a visit to the movie theater something more than it has been before, something that wouldn't just attract audiences to his screenings, but would have them absolutely buzzing about it when the movie was over. He wanted a more interactive and personal experience for his viewers and his answer was real-life gimmicks. They're in the theater with you during the movie. And this is where, for a short while, horror got really fun. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was kind of like going to an amusement park in a theater room. So during his films, such as The Tingler or House on Haunted Hill, Castle would instruct the staff at these theaters that were screening his films to do things like 
set up buzzers in the seats, or suspend a flying skeleton on wires to zip line through the theater mid-movie. One film in particular was formatted in a way to where different things would show up on the screen depending on if you were looking through a red lens or a blue lens that you would see on like 3D glasses. You would pick which lens you looked through based on your belief of supernatural or not. I think it's like if you're a believer in the supernatural, look through the red lens. If you don't believe in the supernatural, look through the blue lens. He was really revolutionary in doing that stuff because nobody had done that stuff ever before. Yeah. And honestly, it's pretty fucking cool. Like, yeah. they should go back to doing that. I, I wish we could go back to a time, or I wish we could pick up that again and do that with modern movies. That would be wonderful. And the closest thing I could say to that that we have nowadays in, in modern times uh, would be the 4D movie theater experiences that you can sometimes get in rare... Like, we don't have anything, I think, that like that around here where we live. It's not horror, but... Um... I know sometimes Star Wars does stuff like that. Yeah. There's some places where, like, the seats will move based on the action of the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and some amusement parks, like uh, like Disney World and Universal, Universal Studios, Studios, does that a They lot. have things where, like, stuff will spray out, like, and you'll feel like a mist or something. Yeah. I think I watched, like, a Shrek thing where they did that in Universal uh -huh. Studios. So that's the closest thing we still have to this castle. Universal, this was... Around like this is more recent because of the zombies. Yeah, uh, there was a Walking Dead, I believe, ride where it was 4D, where you can move around and feel like zombies were trying to <laughs> yeah. touch you and stuff. Yeah, uh, and I think they had that at that Shrek thing. I felt uh, that I went to as well. They had these little like brushes that would shoot out from the bottom of the seats, and you yeah. would feel something like crawling around at your feet. Yeah, yeah, uh, all inspired by. The work of William Castle. Like I said, I wish they would do that in movie theaters. That sounds like a load of fucking fun. Like, I would, I can't imagine how much fun those people had in those theaters during that time. We kind of get a glimpse at what that would be like in a more modern time in Scream Two. When they do the stab movie, stab movie, yeah. Oh, everybody's watching, and it looks like a William Castle era sort of event going on in that the theater. Fun as hell. I wish we could experience that. I, I literally gave you outfits. Yeah. And there's like the 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 ghost face that would zip line through. That was yes. That was directly a reference to the skeleton on House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, that's what I, I was gonna mention that scene, and I was like, yeah, that reminds me of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, Wes Craven was that that was just kind of a shout out to the history of William Castle. That's how they're treating stab movies in his universe. Yeah, that would be so cool though. Like, imagine if we go to see Scream Five and they do shit like that. Imagine we go to Halloween Kills and there's just some Michael Myers just standing there. Stalking through the audience? Yeah. Uh, that would piss me off. <laughs> hey, get the fuck... I'm watching the movie. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> just starting... And it's not at that part of the movie. <laughs> uh, some people actually do that. I've seen... Uh, 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 YouTube videos of just somebody in Michael Myers at the theater just standing right there by the door of the entrance to it. <laughs> Smart thing about William Castle too, like the way he incorporated some of this stuff, The Tingler. It was a movie about a parasite that lives in the human body uh, on your spine and it would kill you if you didn't scream. Screaming is what like suppressed the parasite in your body and whenever it fed on like fear and stuff like that and you would feel it by the tingle in your back. And so he put buzzers in the seat to make some of the audience members feel a tingle. So their their seat would like vibrate real quick and they'd be like, oh, I feel it. And the he gave an instruction at the beginning of the movie. So if you feel a tingle down your spine, it's the tingler. And the only way you, to save yourself is to scream. Scream as loud as you can. Just have people screaming their heads ah! off. In the movie theater. Is that not an amazing experience? That is. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a time to be alive. I, I have some envy there. I wish I could have sat through that. That would have been wonderful. Yeah, but unfortunately that that was a passing fad despite uh, its influence on some stuff we have today. Uh, we wouldn't see stuff like that again for several years until we started putting like theater attractions and in, in, in uh, these these amusement parks and stuff like that.
Yeah. But that's going to cover part one of our history of horror. I think we made a pretty good run all the way through the 50s. Pretty good. And then in part two, we'll cover the 60s and 70s. and Yeah, part two, we'll cover the 60s to today. All That's right. the plan. We might have to make a part three. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah. Uh, it gets really heavy in these in these eras, especially when we get to the 80s. <laughs> if you notice in my notes, the 80s, I left the most like basic because I already know we both have a lot to say just by memory. Yes. <laughs> just for movies. Once we get to the me. 80s, 90s, and more current stuff, there's gonna, we're going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> but... I would like to thank you guys for joining us on this trip through the history of horror. Episode two, man. Hell yeah. In the bag. And like we say, hopefully we'll have Tony back with us for episode three. We should. Well, we got to talk to him. So uh, he, he'll, he'll probably feel better by the time we do this. Episode three, part two. Or episode two, part two, which is episode three. Don't think about oh, it yeah. too hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's the history of horror part two is going to be... Our episode three. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but the plan is part two for history of horror. And then after that, we're going to break down horror into its various subgenres and talk about it. And then after that, I want to start getting into more specific topics to go over. We're doing kind of broad strokes right now with the horror genre because this is the first few episodes. So... After that, we'll start getting into talking about specific franchises and movies and stuff like that. And that's going to be wonderful. I and somewhere in the next, near future, we're going to sprinkle in a little Halloween Kills review and Chucky series review. Oh, of course. But anyway, I'm Brandon. This is Justin signing off. Klaatu Verata Later, guys. Y'all have a good one. interrupt this program to tell you keep your eyes on the skies lock your windows and doors for they are out there tune in next time for part two of the history of horror on radio fear macabre they're watching us